Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. They're people that follow Jesus Christ, right? They don't always walk right. They don't always talk right. They're not the most ideal people. You would think that Jesus, who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Son of God, would actually come and say, and he is God, that he would actually say, let me pick you guys right here or whatever, right? Let me go snatch you off a, a fishing boat or let me go snatch a tax collect, a collector or whatever. But nevertheless, he does, and he tells them to follow him. And we get to witness that whole trajectory inside of the Bible, right? And when we look inside of the Word of God, we learn so much, and there's so much truth there, and it's the words of life as the Bible tells us. But then when you look at Christian culture in the United States, it starts to look really, really funny or whatever, right? So we've been pretty much working through this thing where we're taking um, things that would be true about cultural Christians and pitting them against things that we see flowing out of the heart of disciples and people who want to follow Jesus. And we're not doing it to make the statement like, you know, everybody else is fake and we're actually the real people. All of us fall on the cultural Christian side at times, right? But like as disciples, it's not that they're in the right place, but it's that they are intentionally saying, Lord, I want to follow you, right? God, I want you to show me your truths. I want you to purify my heart. I want you to continue to transform me and sanctify me. So by no means is this about a sermon like we actually keep it real over here and they all faking over there. It's not the truth. It's saying, God, we want to take our messed up, jacked up heart and actually follow you. And we're going to preach it and proclaim what the truth is so we know what it is. So when we go home at night, if we ain't thinking about the truth, maybe it'll disturb our peace and God will use that to transform our heart. So that's why we're on this sermon. We're looking at like what does the Bible say about truth, right? And then last week, I did this thing where I was talking about suffering versus complaining. Did y'all hear that sermon? So we talked about suffering versus complaining, and we were making the point, we're looking at the, at the Word of God, and we're just talking about how love is synonymous with suffering. When you see the word love in the Bible, or you see Christ declaring his love, when he exhibits his love, he does it through suffering. He's on a cross, and he's bloody, and he's dying for the sins of the same people who are actually putting him on the cross. So love is synonymous with suffering, right? And we thought that was important because culturally or whatever, there's this thing where we start writing Christianity as this thing is God loves me, he rejoices in me, and he just wants to enlarge my house and just bless me, and I never have any problems. And it's not true, right? The way God moves his kingdom forward is through suffering. Paul tells us, suffer as a good soldier of Christ. He tells us, your promise that is ahead of you, the hope for eternity that Christ has given to us, nobody, no, 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 no eye has seen, right, and no ear has heard. Like, it means that it's actually unfathomable, right? Fathomable. That's serious. When you hit three M's like that, whoo, it's serious. We can't even comprehend what he has for us, right? It's unfathomable. Can't even stop doing it now. All right. So suffering versus complaining. That's where we went with it, right? And so when I started thinking about this sermon, I was like, okay, I really want to do a part two to it, but I don't want to stay stuck on the same terminology and everything else or whatever. And I just wanted to kind of keep digging to it and exploring. And it's kind of awkward because I ended up on this idea, this term of peace talker versus peacemaker, right? And so 
don't know. It feels strange to me because when I hear the word peacemaker, it sounds like a nice Hallmark card, right? Or like a real shallow compliment to, that somebody would give you like, man, you're such a peacemaker. I just love you. You're always making peace. And you just want to smack them real quick, like, shut up. You know, but that's what it sounds like, right? But when you start looking in the word and you look at the word peacemaker, it's some old gangster stuff, right? Like it really, really is. So we're going to talk about it today, all right? So I'm not going to talk about peace talk. Let me make sure you have the terminology down of what I'm dealing with. Because sometimes I come with these elaborate titles and I go tell my wife, I was like, man, I got this sermon, peace talker versus peacemaker. And she's like, yeah, I, I, that sounds cool, really cool. Like it would be an awesome T-shirt. I don't know what it means at all. And so I, I, sometimes I get a little high-minded. But peace talker, what I'm talking about is basically, you know, you talk it but you don't walk it type of deal, right? So people who talk about everything changing, everything being better, but won't engage in it, right? So like, so in the Bible, it talks about the Pharisees. It says they would put heavy burdens on people's necks, but they would, they would never move to actually help them lift it off. You get where I'm coming from? So like you can get into this whole religious whirlwind where you're always talking about doing something. You may even pray a whole lot, but won't actually step forth to actually ever engage in anything in real life because it just costs too much. And this is why this is so tied to suffering and why I want to bring you from last week into this week. Y'all tracking with me so far? Huh? Wake up? We awake? All right. All right. Don't make me make you howl again up in here. All right. So that's what we're talking about. So peacemaker or whatever. What are we talking about here? First place, one of the places we see peacemaker in the, ba- in the Bible is in the Beatitudes, right? So in the Sermon on the Mount or whatever, and I want to read that to you. That's in Matthew 5. And it goes like this. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. So Jesus is with the crowds on the mountain, and he's about to drop some, some bombs on them, right? And he says, when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Um, anybody who doesn't know street terminology, bombs don't mean actual bombs. We just mean he's about to drop knowledge. just want to translate that. And he says, um, he says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then he says in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then it goes on and says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so when we look inside, the, let me tell you what the Beatitudes pretty much represent. They're not qualifications to get into heaven, right? They're not qualifications to get into heaven, but they are actually um, somewhat attitudes and somewhat characteristics of believers and followers of Christ, right? So if we're talking about an actual disciple of Christ, we're saying that, man, they're poor in spirit. They mourn, right? They look at the world and they actually mourn. They're actually meek, right? So they're not prideful. They're actually meek. Um, They hunger and they thirst for righteousness. So they look at the world and they like they're grieved that the world is broken the way it is, and they, and, and they see Christ as actual truth and righteousness, and they crave for him, right? And they're peacemakers. And they're peacemakers. So that's what we actually want to dig into, like, what actually is that talking about? Because it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. So I'm imagining all of us, we want to be peacemakers, am I right? All right? So, so 
this is an explanation or whatever that for peacemakers or whatever that I like because I just like the word. And it's from this guy, Dustin S., who writes for Desiring God. And he explains what a peacemaker is like this, right? He says, a peacemaker is someone who ex experiences the peace of God because he is at peace with the God of peace through the Prince of Peace, who indeed is our peace and who therefore seeks to live at peace with all others and proclaims the gospel of peace so that others might have joy and peace in believing. That's a serious definition. That, that, he pretty much hit that on the head, right? But like at the end, right, he says, and who therefore seeks to live at peace with all others. So with all others. So that is that Hallmark card thing or whatever it is. Like, yeah, I do want to be peaceful, right? Like we're not going around just starting stuff and looking for war. But he says, and proclaims the gospel of peace so that others might have joy and peace in believing. So just going off, he backs everything he says up by scripture or whatever. So we'll take that into account. He's talking about this idea that peacemakers are actually... They, they're really in it, right? They're proclaiming the gospel. They're taking the calling to make disciples and move the gospel forward very serious, right? Because the whole thing is Christ says, yo, I want to give you abundant life or whatever, but he calls us to the Great Commission. He says, go and make more disciples. So that doesn't happen by us just going like, like keeping our mouth shut. It actually is a, it, it's actually action, right? So... Peacemakers are at peace, and their peace is ferocious, and it's effective in glorifying God. I want to read Philippians 4 to you, right? It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And, again I, and I, again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, I don't know what's happening with these bowls and reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then in verse 7, he says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Right? So when he says up here, and he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, he's basically saying, your ministry and your boast in Christ is that you actually have peace through Christ. You get where I'm coming from here? Are y'all connecting those dots? He says, in the peace of God in verse 7, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about, about anything. So what he's talking about is actually your position where you stand in your faith with Christ Jesus. So it's like we talked about now versus eternity. And the other, last week, and Pastor Jeremy was hitting it, I was talking about how when you have an eternal perspective and you believe in the hope that comes through Christ Jesus, it informs your now, right? And so he's actually describing for us, like, yo, you're, one of your ministries, one of your effective ministries is when you're actually reasonable in the middle of chaos. It doesn't mean that there's not a storm brewing around you. It doesn't mean that bills don't need to get paid. It doesn't mean you have the answers for how they're going to get paid. It doesn't mean any of that. But he's saying that being rooted in Christ, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. So in a world where everything is carnal and it's rooted in the now, and it's like, hey, you, you, your friends in your ear, like, yo, you got a real problem on your hands. Everything's going bad, homie. I'm, man, I love you, but, man, your whole life's falling to pieces. That makes sense because it might look like that on paper. Right? It might look bankrupt right now on paper, 
But he's talking about a peace that surpasses all understanding, that comes through Christ Jesus. So it takes the story from the now and pulls it into this big eternal perspective where God stands tall over all of it. Do you get where I'm coming from? So he's saying, if you believe this, walk in this, and let your reasonableness, let that be your boast. Do you get where I'm coming from? Let that be your boast is what he's saying. This is where your peace when he says in verse 7, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, this is how it is effective. This is what it looks like. This is how it, this is how it shakes up the whole room. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? Like, respond to me. Let me know. Do you understand or not? Because I want to I make sure you get it. Yes? This, it's, it's important. And let me just explain to you why it's important that you get it. It's important because... When you read through your word, you can just gloss over certain words or whatever because they're familiar, right? And so you hear the word peace all the time. You hear things in all these different words in different contexts, but it means a whole nother thing when you deal with the Bible when God's standing over the word, right? And so if you don't get it, the rest of this sermon, you might as well go ahead and take a nap because it's going to be boring as I don't know what for you. Because I'm going to preach it to you like peace Making is this gangster sword that just wrecks everything and gives glory to God. That's how I'm going to preach it to you. Because that's when I look in the word, that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about, you know, I'm not trying to teach you a cute little lesson this week. I'm talking about some gangster, high-level soldier of Christ, how God moves forward his kingdom. Are you with me? So, like, I want you to just get, I want you to catch that for real. I know it's like, you know, it's the word peace and everything else, but... God's peace is a whole nother type of deal. It wrecks the whole world. It leaves everybody confounded because there's not peace here. There's not peace in this world, right? In the flow, right, the pattern of this world, how the Bible talks about the pattern of this world, it's absent of God in it, right? Or it rejects God. I won't say it's absent of God because if God wanted to, if he really brought his, his judgment down like he could, he could crush the whole thing. So it's being held still by his steadfast mercy in place, right? And the sun's coming up on the good and the evil. It's still doing his thing, and that's all God doing that. But I'm just saying, I want you to really, really grasp this because if you are a disciple of God and not just a cultural Christian, this means every single thing to you. When you wake up in the morning, when you go for it, right? So this is the difference between if we're going to actually play church or we're going to actually be the church. Are y'all tracking with me? All right. Your perspective on Christ is, is everything. This is Colossians 3 right here, right? I'm starting with verse 12 if you're following with us. It says, put on then as God's chosen, chosen ones, holy and beloved, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, right? Paul is, is talking to the church at Colossae, right? And he's actually, he's telling them, he's telling them the same thing I'm saying to you today. He's, tell, he's, he's doing exactly what we're doing with this sermon, where we're pitting pit cultural Christianity versus being a real disciple. They're in the same situation. They're dealing with Pharisees all around them, Right? This, this isn't old stuff. We're in the same game right now. The same thing has been happening forever. People have been looking to undermine the true gospel of Jesus Christ with this watered-down, moralistic kind of thing that makes Christ's work not big, right? So Paul, when he's telling them this right here, 
He's saying, like, yo, let's stop playing games. Let's be the church, y'all. Like, let's do it. Like, like, let's be it, right? So he's like, yo, put this stuff on, right? So when you wake up in the morning, these are the, when the Bible talks about, yo, keep your mind on good, beautiful things, he's saying, yo, these are some of the things you want to wake up in the morning and start getting strapped up, ready to roll in the morning, right? And he, and he doesn't mean that in this moralistic kind of thing. You do it through the grace of God. And I want you to know that so you don't wake up condemned like, oh, I feel like crap in the morning. Yeah, I, I often do too. But still, God is still faithful, right? So if you can mutter the words out your mouth, call it on you, right? So he says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Make this your study. And he's saying, 13 says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's that word love, which is suffering. He's telling them to put on these things because if you don't have them on, then the love, it won't, the, the, there won't be any binding work. You get where I'm coming from? There won't be any binding work that happens there. He says, which, but he says, love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. He's telling them to put on all these things. And he says, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. What does he actually mean when he says that, right? He's saying, let your position be ruled by the peace of God. So last week I told you when I was preaching a sermon, I think at one point I started like, I don't know, I almost had somebody jump on the organ and got the handkerchief out. And it's like, I started going crazy. And I said the word to you, I said, you're basically bulletproof. Because I was talking about if, if God be for us, who could be against us, right? And in that text, he starts off with, this pre, with predestination. And he's talking about God has been thinking about you since the beginning of the earth. Since the beginning of the earth, before you can, before you can even comprehend, you are already in the story. So he, Paul is telling his people, he's like, yo, if he's with you, who, who can stop you? Who can actually stop you? And so when he's telling them, and let the peace of Christ rule in your mind, he's basically saying the same thing. Stay up under the cross. Stay humble and st stay small and be wrapped in the magnitude of God's power. Like walk around completely in peace with that. Because that means when you walk outside and your car might be repoed, God is still God, right? When you mess around and have a bad night and you look at some wrong things, but God's mercy is renewed the next morning or is renewed second by second and he's steadfast, it means he's still God. Do you get where I'm coming from? So he's saying, he's saying, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's not talking moralistic stuff like be good, be good, be good, be good. That's not what we do. We don't work to climb the ladder of moralism. We keep our eyes on our Father, and he just pulls us on up, right? He's saying let it rule you. Let it rule you. Then we have our great example. 
Christ as the ultimate peacemaker, right? And Isaiah 53 says this. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Listen to the suffering. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that bought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ is the ultimate peacemaker, right? This is where it's all mixed together while I was telling you. The love, the love of Christ. God so loved the world, right? But he suffers to bring us peace. He's the peacemaker. It's a great example right here. So Ephesians 2 says this right here. It says, therefore, remember that, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision um, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So let me give you some context to this right here. Paul is talking to the Ephesians, but he's addressing this division that is there between the children of Israel who have covenants with God based around them being circumcised. And he's talking to the Gentiles, and he's saying, homie, y'all looking real ugly out here, man. Y'all out in the cold. Like you are in the world with no hope, right? Because you cannot, number one, you're not covenanted in this. You're actually out in the cold, right? And so he's, that's the basis of what he's talking about. He's saying you have no redeemer. He's like, he's saying, he's, he's talking to him like this, the promises that landed on them actually aren't on you. That's the case he's making on this front end, right? But he's going to keep on moving through it, right? But I just want you to see it because he says, having no hope without God in the world. You're alienated. You're in this place where your sin has complete rule over you. That's the statement he's saying. And in verse 13 he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together in dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I know I start reading you these whole books sometimes. But sometimes the scripture is so juicy, you just got to roll through it, all right? You got to roll through it. But I want to turn your attention on... on uh, on verse 16, it says in, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go a little bit before that. He's in 15, it says, by abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. 
so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The point I'm trying to get you to see in that scripture right there is there's this thing that's happening where he's, he's being that peacemaker, the Hallmark card version, right, where he's bringing unity, but he's also a warrior in it. Like he's killing the hostility in his peacemaking. Do you get where I'm coming from? Like, I want you to get these points because as I keep going forward, I want you to see how it lands on us and what we're actually called to do, right? And I'm, and I'm going to give what I believe are some really good examples, but I want us to see how Christ is actually doing that. So he says, there's, there's these two that are separated, and Christ in his peacemaking brings them into one, and he kills this wall of hostility, right? So this whole world we live in, this carnality that we live in, there's hostility between all of us. There's classism, there's racism, and there's just 50 million isms that keep on going, right? There's sexism, all of these different things. And so the love of Christ, when it causes us to be peacemakers, it's asking us to actually confront these things and start knocking down the wall of hostility with a love that suffers. Y'all connecting the dots to that? That's the work of a peacemaker. That's the work that he shows us, right? And he doesn't just do it for cute people. He shows up for rotten sinners and reconciles them back, right? It's a peacemaker. People who are lost in the world. He says, if you have no hope, he said at once you were separated and you have no hope. Does anybody remember being lost without the Lord? This is like, can you remember it like you really taste it? Like, I remember waking up all the time and just feeling like it's not going to go well. Like, I just used to, my peace was always disturbed because I was like, me and my boys, one day we're going to all have to answer for all this, and it's not going to go well. I had ran out of excuses, so my peace was always disturbed. So I just got as high and as drunk as I could all the time so I could never have to look in the mirror for real because I didn't have any peace. So when that gospel fell on me and somebody was like, yo, he saved sinners? I was like, no, brother. Like, I'm out here looking like Satan out here. They're like, nah. His, his mercy goes that deep. They came to me as a peacemaker. You get where I'm coming from? Let me show you this in full effect. Let me show you, let me show you Christ working, working this, like living this example out for us, right? This is Luke 7. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him, asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Reclined is chilling. Jesus was at the table chilling with a toothpick like this. Like, I don't know. I don't know how he was. I'm just playing. I don't mean any disrespect. But he was chilling, though. He's reclining. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flash of ointment. This is an expensive, like, perfume, right, or expensive oil. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner, right? And Jesus answering said to him, right, now peep this out. It says, excuse me, it says, 
He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. I, I want you, before I move forward in this, I want you to catch that part right there. He says, say it, teacher. It's important because of the series we're in, when we're talking about cultural Christianity. So this guy, the Pharisee, who Jesus is about to lay out, he says, say it, teacher. He has some type of regard and some type of respect and esteem to Jesus, right? But is he a disciple? Is he a follower of Jesus? So what we're about to see in this text, Jesus is about to lay it out plain and make it clear. This is the very reason why we're doing this series, for, 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 for that truth to be proclaimed, for all of us to wrestle with it, for it to disturb our peace and bring peace, right? And he says this right here. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. And he says, now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered. He said, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, before I go into this next part, this is what I'm talking about when I say peacemaking, right? Being a peacemaker. If we are called into this work of Christ, it, 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 there's a part where you come to the end of yourself, right? And you're out of your power and you need the power of God to go forward, right? Like, I'm one of those people, I'm not really a confrontational person at all. It makes it just super uncomfortable. I've always felt like kind of weak because of it, all type of things, whatever. Now, I can lose my temper real quick and go crazy. I know how to do that. But like to actually confront things, like little small things that seem like that's no big deal, it actually takes me leaning on the power of God to do it, right? And I found as I become more emboldened in Christ and I believe the gospel more and more, I'm willing to speak up and say things more. Because I'm like, they got to be said. Like, like not that they got to be said just because I'm even convicted by it, but it's like this is what God has called us to as a disciple. Like, it's very clear in the scripture, right? And so I don't feel comfortable dancing around this part of it because it's in the heart of it. And so Christ is about to give us this example where he's about to disturb somebody's peace to give them peace. Do you get where I'm coming from? Like the people who have discipled me in my life, I usually want to strangle them. Just want to strangle them because they've disturbed my peace. They have come, they've called out my religiousness. They've called out my hypocrisy. They've called out everything. And I'm like, man, I'm not trying to hear that. But then I go back and I'm like, oh, my God, they got me square in fear. I'm caught. I can be mad. I can come back and make excuses or I can repent and follow Christ in this. Right? So I could be a cultural Christian and make some, some mess up or whatever. Or I can actually follow Jesus, which following him is me repenting, leaving me behind and following him and walking into this new creature, right? Y'all with me? I'm sorry I'm talking so much. I just want y'all to get this so bad, right? In verse 41, in verse 44, after he gives him an example, he says this. This is Jesus. He's about to cut him. But you can, I can tell from even the way Jesus is being soft with him, he doesn't hate this guy. He's not trying to condemn him, but he's about to bring the truth to him. He's about to bring the light to him. He says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He says, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, 
but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Listen to this statement. This way he pulled the razor out on him. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Right? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So all in that one moment, and it's all a work of love. Because we, we can look in the scriptures. Jesus knows how to, how to crush a Pharisee real quick. And he didn't crush my man. But he, he, he wanted to show him how shallow his love was. Right? And he was saying it was shallow because here's the thing. When it comes to, when it comes to suffering... What the lady is suffering in this is that she's looked in the mirror very deeply and seen the grossness of her sin. And therefore, it's made the magnitude of God's mercy and love and his salvation that much more beautiful. You get where I'm coming from? So God's just like your homie. Your love is shallow. You think you're cute. You're looking at her, judging her like ill, yo. But he's like, you're actually the one that's ill up in here. You feel me? So God is bringing that to him because he needed to feel it. He didn't do it for attitude. He didn't shove it in his face like a pie. He just laid it on the table for him to wrestle and deal with. He's doing peacemaking work. And then he's just giving, then he just, peace is yours, girlfriend. Peace is yours. You know why? Because when I talked about earlier, like letting peace rule you, that's where she's at. Her peace is in Christ Jesus. You get where I'm coming from? You know, let me see if I could pull this into something modern for you to see how this works. So um, I got a call from one of my friends this week, right? And he hit me up, and he had, he was on the job, and his car got repoed. Like, this is a real story, right? And his car got repoed, and he was flipping out on the phone. And he, and he was just like, man, you know, I'm trying to do what's right, da-da-da, and he's going in, like, um, you know, any of y'all ever had a car repo? Put your hand up. I'm just playing with you. Don't do that. Don't do it. Put your hand. I didn't even look. I was just playing with you. But you get where I'm coming from. Like, whether you have or not, it's a hard place to be at, right? It's your wheels. It's how you move and groove. It's how you get around. So he called me. He's flipping out. And so I'm like, hey, listen, I'm going to call you a Lyft driver to get you to where you need to go. And you know how somebody's like turned up and you're just like, you're trying to like, you know, the Lord is good. He's going to, he's, he's in this or whatever. And he's just, he's just on the phone like, shut up, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? My car, man, this and that, da, da, da. And he's just, he's just thinking about everything that's going wrong. And I'm, I'm trying to, I honestly was like, I lit, I'm, I'm just keeping it real with you. I literally was like, God, give me the words to say. I don't know what to say. Right? And then I honestly was thinking like, yo, I need to, I need to hit him with the gospel. But he's going to think I'm silly right now when I, if I tell him that. You know what I'm saying? You know, you ever, like, believe the gospel for somebody, but they're so turned up on something else, you just think they're going to think you're, like, foolish in the moment? So I was just praying. I was like, God, help me, help me with where to get this word in, like, where to, where to encourage him at. And so we talked for a minute, and then by the grace of God, the conversation turned to 
God's sovereignty and how big he is. And, and, and my friend said something like, you know, I've been doing, I've been doing what's right and, and everything else. And, you know, I know how to go get this money, but I've been making the right decision. And I was like, and he's like, you know, I've been asking God. He said, I've been asking God to purify my heart and, uh, and, and everything else. And I said, I said, brother, you in it. I said, you're in it. I said, first of all, let's, let's get this in order. I said, God doesn't owe you for everything to go right. And you're not earning his favor by doing what's right. I said, he's the king. That it, that's how you worship him. That's what, he, that's what he's due on, the, on, the, on, on, on our best. You get where I'm coming from, right? So I, so, I, so I take him there. And then I just started talking about the gospel and how big God is. I said, you know, I, I went into the whole thing about if God is for you, who can be against you? You think a, you think a repo car could be against you? You think a repo car, even on your credit, can offset your whole entire life? When we're talking about the king of kings who thought of you before the beginning of time? And he just started getting in, 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 in just enlarged in the thought of God's sovereignty. You get where I'm coming from? Like God graced me and I, like literally texted me the next day. He's like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know what? I'm going to relax and I'm going to actually just, I'm going to just see what God is doing here, what I need to learn in this moment. What did I miss here? And I'm just going to trust him. God graced me in that moment to be a peacemaker. I can't even take the credit. I ain't going to tell you the story like I did something awesome because I was on the phone like, God, I don't know what to do. Man, it's flipping out, right? But I got to be a peacemaker, but also I had to disturb his peace a little bit. Also had to call him on stuff like your expectation, your, your, your expectation and how you see God is a little off. It's actually a lot off. But once I was able to declare that and he received it, then he's like, man, God is actually doing something awesome. I don't get it. I don't understand it all. But, I, but it's encouraging enough for me to have faith for the next step of it and see this unfold. You get where I'm coming from? Peacemaking. All right. Somebody just started waving a Jag, Jags banner, so I guess that's time or something in the back. I'm going to end with these things really quick. Our work as peacemakers is tied to and springs forth from the work of Christ Jesus, right? I'm saying that to you because if you are hearing what I'm saying and you're taking it seriously, I don't want you to walk out this door and go, all right, I need to get my peacemaker checklist off. It's something that flows out of the enlargement of Christ in your heart, accepting his work, right? Looking in the mirror like the lady who was forgiven and seeing yourself as having nothing to lay before him at all, right? As having nothing to gain your righteousness and then his mercy and his love being the sweetest thing you've ever known. That's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're aiming at. Peacemakers is what we describe as something that oozes out of your heart when Christ's mercy and grace is pressing on you, all right? So don't make that be the thing you go chasing after. But pray for it. Be intentional about it on that aspect, right? 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to just jump through some of this really quick. It says, uh, it says all this, well, let me read this. I'm going to go from 16. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away because the new has come. 
all this from God who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, right? So through Christ, God is reconciling this lost, wretched world to himself. Us, sinners, right? Sinners, fallen short, wretched sinners, Not counting our trespasses against us, right? And not only that, it's not that he just wipes the slate clean, but because he, he, he blesses us with his, when, when he brings us into this new life, right? And we just maybe feel like a wreck every day, but he actually entrusts you with the message. Like he, he actually gives you the calling, Right? He actually implants it in you. He puts it on you, right? It's kind of like you burn down the house while your parents are gone, and then they show back up, build a new house, forgive you for the old one, and then pass you the keys as soon as it gets done. And you're like, what are you doing? Don't you see me? I'm a mess. I'll burn this baby down in two seconds. But he drops the keys in it because he says, yo, you're my son. He gives us credibility. Because the credibility we have is, from, is bought by the blood of Jesus. It's not your credibility about you being good. It's that Christ is good and perfect. Do you get where I'm coming from? I just want you to understand this. And then he calls you into the work. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is the ministry of taking people who are actually the enemies of God and bringing them back into a relationship with them through Christ. Right? So when it comes to being peacemakers, anybody can get it. That's why I told you it's a weapon, right? So it's a weapon, right? When you catch a soldier on the field or whatever, when they got their joint, they're like, who wants to get it, yo? Anybody. If you got a problem, we laying it down. That's what it is when this peacemaker thing, because of the foundation we're laid on in Christ, because it's him lavishing people who have no merit, no nothing with them, with his mercy and grace, if we have the ministry passed to us and we're now ambassadors in this ministry of reconciliation, do you think we size people up when we give them the gospel? You think we weigh if they're worthy or not? No way. This is why Christ says, yo, you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. There is no bar for who's cute and who's not. He goes all the way to the ground because that's where he found us all at. So if we ambassadors... We lavish people with what we have. In Matthew 5, he tells us to love your enemies. He says, have you heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy? It's carnality, right? Sounds cute. Sounds cute. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. It's just another way to say the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. It's just another way to say that. I'm going to read this last scripture, and I'm going to close this out with this right here because it lifts really high 
the example of Christ's humility for us, right? For us as disciples who are looking to follow Jesus, we always look to our great example in Christ Jesus. It's, it's what it is. It's what everything is built on. He's our foundation. So I want to bring this all together and, 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 and lifting the work of Christ high, right? So Philippians 2, it says this. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Right? Let me, let me, let me say this real quick before I go forward. What we're talking about right now, like the ribbon I'm about to put on this, is actually peacemakers functioning inside the body of Christ. All right? This is, this is, this is for you and your neighbor who I told you to bump fists with earlier. Okay? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is a really big statement right here. I'm sorry. Give me two more minutes. Y'all listening to me? Are y'all awake? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, right? Taking the form of a servant. Let me tell you something real quick, and don't ever, ever forget this, because it's so important. If you're ever going to serve and ever walk in a church and be a part of the body of Christ Jesus, do not ever make you bigger than God. I don't care if somebody steps on you and disrespects you to the other bottom inside of the church, don't make yourself bigger than God. I'm not saying don't work to resolve, don't move forward with addressing things that are broken. I'm saying that the example that Jesus is actually giving here is that he emptied himself to the point of not counting, like not counting himself to have equality with God. It's, it's not something that can actually be grasped in his mind. So what he's saying is, God, your purposes always rule over me. And because I have the peace of Christ on me, even when I feel trampled and crushed, I won't make my complaint and I won't make my lashing out pull you down to order to have my way, right? It does that, like, and I don't want you to miss this with, like, there's a responsibility for the people to stand over you. There is a great judgment for those who will lord over you in the wrong way. So I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't want you to get it twisted, but I do want you to capture the example that Christ is giving here. This is a big thing because when people don't get this thing right here, they constantly try to tear churches to pieces. Do you get where I'm coming from? Does anybody understand what I'm saying there? All right. Seven, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the glory of God the Father. He's the ultimate peacemaker. He's the ultimate peacemaker. In his humility, he was trampled to the point of death that we could be, we could receive peace. The only way that we're actually able to sit here today, right, and actually joy in the fact and worship God and actually act like we have any dignity within ourselves is because of what Christ has given us, the peace he's given us. Do any of y'all ever wake up in the morning and you just feel disgusting? Does that ever happen to you? It happens to me. I wake up some days and I just like, oh, look at you. Whole head is lopsided. This old dirty dog. <laughs> it happens. I just feel it for no reason. It's like Satan's just standing over me, condemning me. But even on those days, I know this gospel to be true. I don't even have to, I don't even have to feel good about it anymore. The word is still actually true. Right? He's actually even made peace for me in the middle of the storm. So when I wake up on a stormy day like that, when you wake up on a stormy day like that, you can still have peace that surpasses understanding because of the work of Christ on the cross. So we're going to end with that. We're going to end with that. If you're in here today or whatever and you actually don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, when we get ready to do communion in a minute, there's going to be people up here that can pray with you. So I welcome you to come up and grab one of them and pray. Even if you're not, hey, Lord, I want to follow you. If you're not there, that's fine. But if God is just stirring your heart and you have questions, come ask questions. Or say, God, I hear it. Don't get it. Don't know what to do with it. Just come and have somebody actually pray for you. Do you get where I'm coming from? Because I know outside of Christ is this storm that brews or whatever. And this peace that I'm talking about is not understood within it. And I know because I've been there and I know because the Bible tells us so. But that peace is available. It's available to, through Christ Jesus. doesn't mean there won't be suffering. It doesn't mean things won't be hard. But it means that his promises are actually secure. So on your stormiest day, you can know it's still going to be smooth sailing throughout eternity. You get where I'm coming from? All right. We're about to do communion. <laughs>